0: Great to see everybody today. This is, um, December's a great time because we get to sing these Christmas carols and songs we get to do just once a year, right? I mean, we can sing them year round, but my kids get on me for that. One in particular, I'll leave her nameless. Oh, wait. With four sons and one daughter. I kind of named her, didn't I? (laughs) Dad, too early for Christmas songs. Well, it's a beautiful day to be here at Twin Cities Church. It's a beautiful day to be watching online. Uh, it's a beautiful day to be uh, watching or involved in Twin Cities Church over at our little church plant over there at Eschaton or at Wayne Brown. And, and I fully embrace the verse. Um, I, I, I took it out of my outline and then I put it back in. I fully embrace the verse. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You're familiar with that? Um, I will rejoice regardless of the weather, regardless of the circumstances. And so that's kind of a, I, I like in the morning to just kind of be able to say, God, I rejoice in today. And and uh, so that's where I am at today. Hopefully you can be willing to join me in that adventure today with, with this prospect and today. Well, just last week, as Kyle had said, Ron kicked off our beautiful day in the neighborhood series. And we kind of have this beautiful backdrop and this really fun slide. And i looking forward to this series together in a, in a fun month of December. Uh, and, and Ron had a chance to talk about, I'll call it that cultural icon, Mr. Rogers, I mean, he really is a cultural icon in his beautiful neighborhood. And, and now certainly we want to frame this right here in the month of December. We're honoring the birth of Jesus above all else as we prepare for Christmas. And, but we wanted to approach it a little differently and add some freshness to things and to the timeless truth and the love and joy of Jesus' Advent. We have the Advent as a baby. Well, that's where Mr. Rogers comes in. In fact, the message paraphrase of our theme verse, which is John 1.14, it leads us right into our fresh look. And I want us to read that verse together out loud today. It's on your outline. If you want to pull your outline out, you can do that. It'll also be on the screens. Let's read this outline together. Now, this is a paraphrase of the original, uh, original language Greek here, but let's read this together out loud. Let's go. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Well, I love that picture of He moved into the neighborhood, right? It's right there. The word they're talking about, Jesus became flesh and blood and and moved into the neighborhood, which isn't the hood. It's the neighborhood, right? The hood kind of suggests something a little bit different, and uh, so, but right into the neighborhood and. Uh, and uh, I love that picture. It makes it sound so real, so kind of so down-to-earth, right? So you're able to touch it. It's touchable. It makes it sound a little bit like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood there. And that's how we're, uh, we're framing things a little bit each week as we look at the significance of Jesus being born. Now, just like Pastor Ron, I spent some time this last several weeks looking into the life of Mr. Rogers because I didn't know tons of details. And honestly, Ron shared a lot last week. And if you haven't, if you, didn't get it, if you weren't able to be here and didn't see it, check it out online. You'll really want to see that. Um... Mr. Rogers was an amazing man, and I was amazed at what I saw. This man that on a surface level can be thought of as basically a kid's television celebrity. I mean, that's kind of like, isn't that what it was? He did a kid's TV show. He was a huge, a huge man of faith, a man of huge faith and a, and a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. His, his life was about proclaiming the truths of love and forgiveness and grace that he found himself so profoundly in Jesus that's what motivated him to do all these things, and and the primary vehicle he used to do that was in his television show. And so there was so much more there going on. Now, my research showed me that that Mr. Rogers aired 912 episodes, give or take, I guess. But that's a lot, isn't that? For over decades and decades in different different um, stations, He was you know one of the networks before PBS, and on and on through that. And then there were some specials and and. Um, out of those 912, I, I saw exactly zero of them that I remember. Like, where was I? I don't totally know why. Just the way that timing things worked, and 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 how we did things run up as a family. But but I certainly knew who he was. I mean, everybody knew Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood and his. His songs and his sweaters. I mean, <laughs> Mr. Rogers, right? It's Mr. Rogers. And I don't know where whether, you know, where you're at on that, if you've had a chance to see some of that, whether it's reruns or anything else. But well, today we're going to be focusing on the concept of love in the neighborhood. Our neighborhoods, as Jesus came to bring love to us and all the people around us, um, Mr. Rogers, we're going to use him as an example here and there to demonstrate his personal commitment to the love of Jesus. There are some profound things in his life that I think we can learn from. Uh, but his, and I, I want to start really uh, by speaking of his favorite number. This is one, something that you kind of went, hmm, it, on one level, it can be very light, very Mr. Oh, Mr. Rogers. And then on another level, it speaks in a huge way. His, Mr. Rogers' favorite number was 143, 143. It was a number that he spoke of, the, to spoke to him of love and loving others. So he embraced it. So Mr. Rogers would say it takes one letter to say I. It takes four letters to say love, and it takes three letters to say you, 143, I love you, 143. And so that actually appeared on his show a lot. It was an address of the little building that was there. It would come up. He would talk about it, or sometimes it was just kind of subtle, but he used that in many, many ways. He liked that number and the idea of loving others that it represented so much that um, I found this out, this is kind of almost kind of bizarre, but he, he maintained the weight of 143 pounds for the last 30 years of his adult life. That was important to him. It turns out he swam almost every morning. He'd get finished with the swimming workout. He'd get on the sail, and it would say 143, and he'd smile. That, that, that spoke to him of what his life was about in Jesus. Now, on the television, he wasn't busy preaching about Jesus, but wasn't he? in a sense, through that, talking about the value of people. Now, that so, so he maintained that 143 pounds for the last 30 years of his life, and uh, that wouldn't work for me, I'm just saying. 143, I, I need a lot more letters than that, you know? See, how can I reframe that? I feel really strongly about you. No, I, you know, it's one, 143. I think I was about 11 years old at that point in my life, but... Um, <laughs> He would weigh himself daily, again, to affirm that 143 love. So we know he was a man of discipline, too. I mean, I thought about that every day. You know, it wasn't like, so I'm going to take in a few little extra Christmas sweets this week and be up to 147. But I'll get back there. It was like, no, this is what it's about. I'm going to maintain this because this is so important to me. Well, I want to uh, as we take a look at that, what what that meant to him and what that might mean to you. Um, I want to start today by reading the Bible verses we're going to be um, working from today. And so it's in your outline. If you want to pull your outline out, again, there's a place to take notes. If you want to fill in the blanks or write anything down, the verses will be in your notes. They'll be on your screens as well. If you have your Bible, we encourage you to open that up. We're going to be there in 1 John chapter 4 today. And as always, I want to let you know there's Bibles out in the lobby. If you don't have one, you certainly can grab one and use it here in the service. But take it home. It's our gift to you. We value God's Word and want it to be a part of all of our lives in a big way. I want to look at the whole passage. We'll read all the verses together in context, and then we're going to really tear it apart and almost go certainly phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word. But I want to read that for you. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. And he says this, Beloved, let us love one another... For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among, manifest among us, excuse me, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might love through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I don't know if you got lost in the process. There are sometimes you read a lot of verses in a row, and they almost seem to kind of circle back around on each other, and they do intentionally. And I counted it up just this morning because I said, "There's a lot a love" appears again and again and again and again on this. It appears 11 times in these short verses. The word in fact, if you count "beloved" as a, as a, as a terminology, and we'll talk about that, it's actually 13 times in these verses, from verses seven to 11, "Love love, 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 love. think it's important to God. <laughs> you know, anything you repeat is important, very much so. so. So here we go. We're gonna take a look at it in, in great detail again if you want to follow along in your outline. Um today, as we look at love at Christmas, my encouragement for you is to receive Jesus' invitation. And there's really come this passage really breaks it into two main sections. First of all, to receive Jesus' invitation to experience God's love. That's your first fill in the blank and kind of the first major point. And and so it really starts with love in the neighborhood, love from God. We need to experience God's love. It's where it starts, the call to experience God's love really every day, not just at Christmas time, but in the neighborhood and everywhere, right? Now, first of all, uh, some sub points. In order to experience God's love, it helps to know, this starts really basic, but we really want to make sure we kind of fill in all the cracks. It helps to know that love is from God. Love is from God. And it says right there in verse 7, for love is from God. And what that means is this, to say love is from God. Well, yes. And what that means simply is, first of all, it was created by God. It's his idea, his creation. It's his masterpiece as a relational being. That's, that's why this is so important. It's, as a relational being, this was his creation and, and his idea. And secondly, it's the very essence of God. 1 John 4, 8, again, we're just pulling passages or verses out of the passage we read. God is love. He doesn't just have love. God is love. So it's not something that, that he just takes upon himself to, to act in that way. It's identity. He is loving, yes, but, he, but, but he's also love. If you look at God from any angle, you're going to see love. You know, there's that illustration of, of the blind wise men who all bumped into the elephant. And depending upon what part of the elephant they tr- that they touched, they had a different view of the elephant, right? So one came up and touched the trunk and said, an elephant is like a snake. And one came up and to the elephant and felt his felt his leg and says, "Oh, an elephant is like a tree, you know." On the one that touched the tail, oh, it's like a fly swat, you know. Everybody had a, a different perspective. The ear, he's like a fan, and no one had the whole view. Every view of God from whatever angle, from whatever perspective, it's love. It's not just a part of him. It's his elbow. That's who he is. It's not just what he does. And so it's important to see that that is who God is. It's Next, it's given by God, created by God. It's God's essence. It's given by God. These are some just some little sub points here, sub-sub points. And it's given willingly to us. His love overflows from him into our lives. It's really unavoidable. A loving God sees every bit of his creation with love. That That's how he sees things. He... he he's loving and he is love. And James 1 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not sh- change like shifting shadows. God was loving today, excuse me, yesterday. And he's loving today and he's going to be loving tomorrow. He doesn't change. And that gift, every perfect gift comes from God. Now, also, when we say love is from God, these are just some little points about it. it. Created by him, it's in his essence. He's willingly given to us, and it's also sustained by God. And this is important to me as I thought about it, because this isn't, not us, this isn't us by ourselves. See, God doesn't just give us a gift, like here comes Christmas, and here's a brand new glass bowl. Cool, I have a glass bowl. I always wanted one of these. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I have this glass bowl. It's a one-time gift, and that's not that. God doesn't do it like that, this tangible item. If it was that, see, then you'd have to figure, well, where do I store this bowl? What do I do with it? I have to keep it. And then you would end up thinking, well, what if I lose it? You know, God gave this to me. This is his love. But what if I lose it, or what if I break it, or what if I don't, you know, what if I'm not good enough, and God wants to take it back, you know? Well, all the what-ifs, it's not that. God, it isn't a one-time tangible gift. It's an ongoing gift. It continues to give. He he continues to give and sustain that level of love. It's from him continually, so we don't have to manufacture it or sustain it on our own. God gave me the love, but now it's up to me to keep it going. You know? God, no, I I give you the love, and I give you the love, and I continue to give love. I sustain that for you and in you. Well, next, then, on your outline, of an actual fill-in-the-blank, God reveals his love to us in Jesus. God reveals to us. His love to us in Jesus. First of all, as we, as we experience God's love, we see that love is from God. It emanates from Him, but and then He reveals that love. And it says in 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, In this the love of God, and we'll talk about it, I'll explain it, was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world, The truth is God always loved us from the beginning of creation, before creation, God had love for us and for you, even before you were born, but it wasn't always easy to see and understand. God is so big and expresses his love in so many ways, we kind of sense it, and so it's not always easy to understand, especially because we're human and kind of dense sometimes, and some of us are more dense than others. Some of you wives are nudging your husband right now, and I am no comment about that, but that, that's the truth that's there. So God, realizing that I love you, how do I communicate love? I sometimes wrestle with that even, even with my family and with my wife, you know, man and wife, husband, guy and girl, and, and I love you, but do I com- does she know that I love her as much as I do? How do I communicate that so she really knows that love languages and all that stuff? God's, in, in, in essence, in the same spot saying, I love you, but how am I going to communicate that love in the depth of my love? God decided then to manifest his love among us in a new way. And so that word manifest, how many of you have manifest as a daily part of your vocabulary? Like, no. Mana what? you know? Manifest, so not too much, but to manifest is to really to make something clear, to make it ev- evident, to reveal it. Almost implies making known something that maybe was previously hidden. See, God simply said this, I want to make my love for you as clear as I can what it is, and the extent of my love. I want you to see that as clear as possible. And so I'm going to give you the greatest gift possible and by making the greatest sacrifice possible because love, when it sacrifices, is at its ultimate. And so the love gift that's there, God simply, simply, he sent his only son into the world. He sent Jesus into the world in in the form of man as a baby to live that perfect life in human form. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Right? In the midst of the tree and the mistletoe and Santa Claus. That's what Christmas is all about. God's love manifests, made clear, made evident. Him saying, I want you to know how much I love you. I don't feel like, how can I show that? The greatest sacrifice I can give to really manifest, to make it clear to you what's there. That's what Christmas is all about. And this verse of God's revealing his love to us, it ends by saying, so that we might live through him. Okay, that's, again, out of, out of this first John verse. And it, it spells out the depths of his love. The, this perfect little Jesus baby that God says, I, I want to show you how much I love you. So he's going to come to earth. He's going to grow up and choose to die on the cross for us, for each one of us, so that, so that he can restore our broken relationship with God. And, and his sacrifice of love was made so that we would have an all-new, purposeful life here on earth that's lived through him and, and also eternal life. So that we might live through him both here on earth and for eternity and and that's a big deal It's huge. It's new life and it's eternal life. So he did it so we could live And and discover life in fullness And that's a beautiful day in the neighborhood when you keep that in mind, isn't it? God, he gave, god you, you gave me so much Well third as we look to experience god's love. We need to understand that loving starts with god not us now, it starts with God. Now, I, I said that he created it. It's, it's there, but it's the order here I want to focus, focus on because in 1 John 4, verse 10, from our passage, it says, In this is, in this is, <laughs> in this is love. I'm going to slow down. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We don't have to try to love God first. It doesn't happen that way. The truth is we can't do that. As we don't really have the power and often the desire, at least not all the time. So when I start saying, oh, i got to love, i got to love, i got to try harder to love. It just starts, it helps to realize that God loved us first and he sent his son to show us that love. It starts there. It starts there. The order of that says it begins with me. You don't have to create this. Romans 5, 8 says God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There it is again, the manifestation, the, the the revealing of God's love. You see, Jesus didn't just come to chill, you know, to hang out, you know, tell some good stories and just kind of... Or even he didn't just come to inspire us, although he does do that. He came to save us. And that word propitiation... Again, use that one often in your vocabulary. I thought, I'm going to use an easier translation, but they all you deal with propitiation, atonement. I thought, rather than avoid it, let's just talk about it really briefly. It's there. He gave Jesus as a propitiation to appease the wrath of God to our sin, to atone for our inability to love. There is a problem here in our relationship with God on ourself and that it's broken and that we are people that have offended God because of our sin. God says, I want to take care of that. I want to atone for it. I'm going to wipe that away. Jesus coming and making a blood sacrifice to take care of all that. Jesus came to die for us so we can regain the favor and the relationship with God, and he's done that. Well, finally, as we look to experience God's love, all this is part of it. This first big section is we say, what what is Jesus' invitation to experience God's love The next point is that we are God's beloved. And go ahead and write that word in. And again, that kind of sounds like an old word. I don't use the word beloved a whole lot uh, in my vocabulary as well. But the key is that this is, it's our identity. It's our identity. So that word beloved that we see in verse 7, it actually appears six times in the short book of 1 John. So it's not accidental. It's not a throwaway word. It's not kind of, oh, just off the top of my head. He intentionally uses it again and again. It's repeated reminder that we are God's beloved. That's who we are to him. That's how he sees us. It's our identity. It's not based on anything that we do. And I think we miss that sometimes. We feel like I got to slink around. God, I blew it again. You see me as the, oh boy, John. <laughs> you know, we see him as the excuse or we see him as the, it's not. He sees and he beams. You are my beloved. And I love First John 3, the beginning of verse 1 says, see what great love the father has lavished on us. There's another vocabulary word, lavished on. He's just overflowed that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. We're God's beloved children, we're his kids. And our daddy is the all-loving daddy of the entire universe. He made the whole universe and yet he loves little old me, little old or young you. That God says, push everything aside. I love you and I love you and I died for you. And I wanted to make that manifest and clear how much I love you. Oh, how much I love you. We're God's beloved children. Experience that love, that identity. You matter, you matter. And then I started to sound like Mister Rogers, because <laughs> some of the clips that I saw, it's like he's telling that usually to kids, but often to adults. The postman that would come in, or the African American policeman that he wanted to, he wanted to um, validate his worth, even in a day when African Americans were seen. in in not a great light in many sections of our country. And, of course, we still struggle with it. You matter. How can I tell you that you matter to God and then to us? So Jesus invites us to experience God's love, and that's that's important and the necessary first step. That comes first, really understanding that. But next, Jesus invites us then to extend God's love. That's what these verses really talk about. It's, It's about this. He says, I want you to experience it, and I want you to extend it extend God's love because God loves us. And this is the first sub point. Because God loves us, we are commanded to love others. God talks about, I made, you know, manifesting his love and the propitiation and the revelation, all these things that he's talked about. And in these verses, he also then says, hey, by the way, I'm giving you this love so that you can give it to somebody else. Let somebody else see how much I love you and love them so we want to extend that love and in fact it's a commandment there it's right there in first john 4 7 beloved let us love one another and it happens several times as a direct command jesus himself in john 13 34 said a new commandment it's right there a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another now what's a command mean that's a suggestion right and I know sometimes, especially in church, even as a pastor, we kind of like, gosh, if I say it's a command, I don't want to be too forceful. I don't want someone to feel guilty, you know, or I don't want them to feel like I'm being too, you know, we're too dogmatic, whatever. A command's a command, and it's not for me, it's from the Lord, right? It's, it's, an, it's an order. I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know, in the military, I think they understand commands pretty well, right? It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. Sergeant speaks to a soldier, says, soldiers, you're grabbing your 60-pound backpack, so we're going to get ready to, to, to run, walk, run five miles to get in better shape. Do it now. Not that everybody loves that, but what do they say? I think, sir, yes, sir, is it? Not, you know, thanks for the suggestion, sergeant. I don't think I feel up to it today. I'm going to maybe join you afterwards for a Coke and a smile, but, but have fun. How, how's that going to work for him, right? They understand that a commandment is a commandment. There's obedience involved here. It's, it's submission. An order is an order, and you do it. And, and, and so I look at that, and I say, I just got to be honest. It's right there. God says, this is what I want you to do. Not, not, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not suggesting it. When you get around to it, it's just right there. Just as God loves us, so we're called to extend that love to others. Jesus says it's a new commandment, and that's because it's important to him. It's really important to him. And yet I have to say this idea of extending God's love is more than a command. We extend God's love as as really it's the inevitable result of our experiencing the fullness of God's love ourselves. Okay, it's a command, yes, but bottom line, God's commandments aren't burdensome, the scripture says they're not. And and so really what happens if I'm truly being filled with God's love, I'm going to love others. And that's what this is. Because, Because God loves us, we can't help but love others. Because God loves us, we can't help but love others. So he's not commanding us to do something that totally goes against what he wires us to do and to be. He says, I'm empowering you. I'm giving you new power. I'm giving you new desires to be able to do this. And so so this commandment is going to fall right into your wheelhouse as you you become more like me. Loving others is an inevitable result of our experiencing God's love. Now, true, we may try to stifle how often and how much we love. Or here's a favorite one. Who we love. Yes, yes, yes. Not you. Yes, yes. Right. We kind of do some of that. But 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 that's right there. The tap, God's tap, the love, you know, has been turned on and it's not a little faucet where you're hoping to wash your hands. It's this huge amount of of love, water in a sense. It's been turned on and the water is moving and it and it comes and it overflows and it demands a release. As I start getting just the water comes, the love comes and it just keeps moving through. First John four seven later on in that verse, it says, "Whoever loves has been born of God." and knows god we love if we're born of god if we're born of god that it's it's going to happen now not just physically born all of us have that here you know here we're talking about a second birth and i started thinking about it in the book in the in the book of john we're we're looking at first john which was written written later on in the book of john the account of jesus's life chapter three uh jesus had this same discussion with an earnest religious leader named nicodemus I like to call him Nick for short. And Jesus elaborated on the idea of a second birth. And he explained that it's not a physical second birth. You know, Nick asked, Well, second birth, how do I re enter my mother's womb? You know, it's kind of bending his brain. It's weird right? A second birth, how do you, yeah, physically, how do I, and Jesus, is like, oh, and that's not what I'm talking about here, right? We, we, you're not going to do that. It's, it's, you have a, already had a physical birth. We're here talking, so you're alive, but it's a spiritual birth. It's coming alive on the inside. It's being spiritually new. It's, it's a person's spirit coming to life in Jesus himself. So, so if we're born of God and you are, if you've received new life in Jesus, then we will love others. It will just happen. If you're born of God, you will love. And again in 1 John, it says, if you're born of God and if you know God, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This verse says that if we know God, we will love others. It'll be inevitable. Now, this is perhaps my my favorite part of this whole passage in 1 John 4, and I saved it for the ending, kind of like a great dessert after a good meal, right? Let me hit you with this. Here's the deal. This knowing God idea needs to be fleshed out. You see, in this verse, the word know is from the Greek word. I learned this a long time ago, and I can't believe the amount of times I've used it. Uh, Most of my Greek that I studied back in seminary has gone away. (laughs) I know how to look it up, though, and make it work. But this word gnosko, G-I-N, gnosko O-S-K-O, it's a form of a Greek word to know, is... profound to me. In the Western world, we think of the term know as head knowledge. That's kind of how we pride ourselves. It's what I know intellectually, what I can learn about something, you know, what I can understand on an intellectual level. So many of us, uh, so, so if I know something, I'm smart, right? And we, we value smartness, at least here in the United States in the Western world. So I, I pause and realize that probably many of us know people who know, and I'll say know about God, who may actually believe in God, but, and, and they may be churchgoers and all that, but when it comes to loving others, not so much, not so much. Um, how can that be? They, they know God, and this verse says, if you know God, you will love others. Well, these people know, know God, and yet they don't. They don't love others. They, they judge, perhaps. They judge others. They condemn others. They speak hatefully towards or about others. They don't take the time to listen. Just this last week, one of my sons uh, going to the high school here, local high school, he told me about something happened in class, and he didn't even know what to do or to say. They watched, they showed a video uh, of a bunch of so-called Christians. I'm like, you can show Christians in bad lights in a class, but you sure can't push Christianity. Isn't that interesting? Public high school. But the so-called Christians who were just dogmatic and people are all going to hell except us. And they were ah, ugly. And the fascinating thing about it was that it bothered him greatly was everybody in the class was like, oh yeah, that's kind of like the church I went to. Or that's, oh, I know people like that. Or, oh yeah. And it's almost like, well, this is their view of what a Christian is. A hater, a judger, a closed-minded person, a nasty person through this. and And Andrew's like, I don't even know what to say because it wasn't a religion class, by the way. I don't want to go off too much on this. But the reality is here's this horrible, horrible situation here that says, well, these people know God. In the name of God, they're hating. But that's not who Jesus is, and it's not what Jesus said, is it? I encourage my son to just to, rather than throw Bible verses out, to just say that's not the God I know. That's not the Jesus. I don't, I don't know about them, but that's not the Jesus that I experience who, whose love I receive and whose love I want to be able to, to, to pass around. It's sad. So this head knowledge is, 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 we talk about know that way, but gnosko here when we talk about knowing God in 1 John 4, it's not this. Gnosko knowledge isn't just understanding with my head. Get this. It's knowledge through direct personal experience. I know it in my head to be true because, and I believe it in my head, but I believe it in my head because I've seen it, because I've touched it, because I've tasted it, because I've experienced it. It's been a part of my life, so it isn't just intellectual assent. It's true and I know it to be true, right? So that's what gnoska was. And in scripture, a lot of times, many, many times, that's the word that's used. And we misread the Bible because I know isn't being a fat-headed person. It's an experience. See, I don't just know the water is cold. I jumped right in and experienced it. And you may say, this time of year, the my son and I almost went in the Uber River yesterday as we drove over. We thought, I got a towel in the back. We almost we just didn't have time. I know, we're strange. I knew it was cold, but it, had we stopped and jumped in the river, I would really know it's cold. Understand what I'm saying, Right? Someone may read a label on the milk bottle that says, Oh, this expired two weeks ago. A person who actually drinks some, he knows it's sour. See what I'm saying? Right? Because why? Because you've experienced it. Now, I'm not saying you have to try things that you shouldn't, because these are both kind of negative examples. I don't know if a cold water experience is negative, is it? But, but, But you see what I'm saying here. I can know something. Oh, I know things are this way. I understand them. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I know it because I drank that milk, darn it. (laughs) I got in that river, darn it. Or, or, Or better yet, I had a chance to taste and see that the Lord is good. I didn't just hear about it, church, that God is good and loving. The Bible says taste and see, experience it. Oh, it's true. I've experienced it. That's the knowledge. So when I say everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, doesn't just know about God, he knows God jumped in full uh, the whole bit and said, man, I want to experience this completely. And, and I don't know about you. Maybe that's where you're at right now. You have a relationship with God that is more. I under, I'm, I'm, you're growing to understand him better. But God's waiting for you to say, God, I'm yours. Take me, man. Envelop me, whatever it takes, whatever it costs through this process. We love because He first loved us. It says in First John four nineteen. Remember, it starts with Him. He loves us first, and we personally experience that love, and then, and then we extend that love. Now, your final point—it's the wrap-up point—and it's a key truth to reflect on, and it's the last truth that comes out of this scripture: is, if we don't love others, we don't truly know God and His love. If we don't love others, we don't truly know God and His love. And it says there in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. Now, again, this know God, this is the gnosko what we talked about, the gnosco knowledge of God. This is not just knowing about God, but, but really knowing God personally, experientially. So if someone really knows God, they will inevitably love others. And so what Scripture is kind of saying is, so consequently, if, if you don't love others, then you don't really know God. And he's not shaking his finger at you. He's saying... Maybe if the struggle to love others is this ongoing, huge struggle, maybe it's not about trying harder. Maybe it's going back and saying, God, I need to know you better. Not know you better. I need to know you better. And all of us could stand to know God better is. Now, truth is, often the reason we don't love others is that we don't feel that we are really loved. So this goes back to starting with truly experiencing God's love. Don't try to love harder by your own efforts. You know, that's that doomed adventure, the doomed venture. You don't earn God's love. You just relax and let it soak in. Knowing God, really knowing God means loving others. That's what we're saying. But, but that doesn't mean it will always be easy either. He didn't say it's going to be easy. Just like the sergeant didn't say, grab your 60-pound pack. We're doing a five easy miles. It'll be great. No you're going to earn that and a smile, right? Doesn't mean it'll be easy. We, we sometimes choose to put our love for the world in the way or our love for ourselves. And that gets in the way of loving others. I'm just keeping it real. I know that when I struggle, me personally, when I struggle with loving others, it's often because I've mixed up where I place my attention and my desires, even my love. I started thinking about that and go, there's times when it's hard to love specific people or certain times I get focused on what am I focused on if it's hard to love others? I'm not focused on the Lord. I'm focused on tasks. Yeah, but they're good tasks. It's being a pastor tasks. I'm so focused on the tasks of being a good pastor that I, I don't love others. Does that make sense? Doesn't to me. What about for you? What are we focused on that gets in the way of loving others? When our focus really, when it's truly, on immersion in God's love, regardless of what you're doing—you're shopping at the grocery store, you're having encounters in your daily, whatever that's going on—if I'm immersed in God's love, it's going to come out. But for me, when I put those things in the way, I stop experiencing the constant stream of God's love, and I stop experiencing it, so I stop giving it. Now, God doesn't stop giving it to me. I just stop receiving it, or I block it somehow. The flood of love comes. I put up the shield, or I try to step out of the way or whatever. Mr. Rogers, as I thought about him, he was a man of great love, and and yet he knew it wasn't always easy either. A couple of quotes that I want to end with here that, that are kind of hmms for me. He said, love isn't a state of perfect caring. It's an active noun like struggle. You think about struggle. Struggling is constant. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is, right here, right now. And to continue to strive. And please know that loving other people will show Jesus to them. That's the point. Put aside your fear, put aside your apathy, maybe your busyness, your tasks, and take that moment to love others the way Jesus has loved you because we demonstrate our relationship with God by loving and appreciating others. Mr. Rogers, he had an understanding of that. He said, I believe appreciation is a holy thing. This is good. When we look for what's best in the person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing that, we're doing what God does. So in appreciating our neighbor, we're, we're participating in something sacred. I like that. When we look for what's best in the person we happen to be with at the moment, we often look for what's worse, don't we? Oh, boy. Oh, wait. What does God love about this person? How did God create this person beautiful? In appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. Listening is where love begins. Listening to ourselves and then to our neighbor. So God's call today is simple, simple. And yet it's profound. Experience God's love completely. gnosco experience. Receive it. Bathe in it. And then let it overflow and extend it to others. Love everyone always. Sound familiar? That would be a beautiful day in our neighborhood, wouldn't it? If the people here today said, I'm going I'm to do that. God, fill me so that I can overflow. And it's going to change our neighborhood. It's going to change our community. Would you pray with me? Father, I hit a a passage like this today and out of 1 John 4, and it's love, 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 love. And I think, God, what could I possibly say today about love that people haven't already heard? Certainly those that have been in church for a lot of years. God, honestly, true confession, even as I began my studying and and working on this talk, God, I thought, God, what can you tell me about love that I don't already know? (laughs) Because it's love. And yet, God, you open my eyes and you open my heart to the fact that I I don't understand it. I don't experience it. I put you in a box, God. And sometimes I break that box down, but then I build a bigger box and I put you inside of it. God, your love is so far beyond that. Thank you. Thank you so much that you love me that much, that you manifest your love in Jesus, that you provided him as a propitiation for our sins. All these huge, wonderful words that say, I love you, John. I love each person here. And if you're here today, wherever you're at, maybe you've never received the love of Jesus. You can choose to do that now by opening yourself up to him, by asking him to forgive you and asking him to lead your life. For many of us here watching online or or here in this room, you've made that decision already. But right now, God's saying, open up, open up and receive more, more, more of me experience fully experience me beyond the head but at the full heart level so that you in turn can extend that love to others and you have an opportunity to make that choice today actually every single day of your life lord i make that choice today i open myself to you i pray that some of my brothers and sisters well i pray that all of them will do that as well god this simple concept of love that we know so much about and yet we sometimes know so little may we be people of love in our neighborhood, in our church, in our community, and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.